You're listening to Very Loose Women. I'm Catherine. Hello, I'm Emma. I'm Lily. I'm Lucy. And on tonight's show, we have a very special guest, Lauren Johnson. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Lauren is both an author and historian um, who's recently had her first uh, novel published. So, Lauren, do you want to tell us a bit more about your work? Yeah, certainly. So, my um, debut novel is uh, The Arrow of Sherwood, which is currently in hardback and it's about to come out this month uh, on ebook as well. And it's historical fiction. But my main area of interest is women's history. That's what I find particularly interesting, investigating the past. Fantastic. And is that something which has always interested you or is it something that you've kind of developed over the course of your studies? No, I think it's something I've always been interested in. I have a lot of brothers, so maybe that's where it comes from. (laughs) (laughs) Like a reaction. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think we're ready for the song to get get us in the mood for tonight's show. And that was The Stranglers with No More Heroes. Now, I actually can't think of a more appropriate song to play um, because, as you would have noticed, quite a few, if not all, of the historical figures they mentioned there are male. So women haven't loomed large in history, um, especially sort of military, political history throughout the ages. I was just wondering, Lauren, your area of expertise is medieval history. Medieval women in particular, I don't know very much about. I think, is that fair to say with everyone else? Yeah, absolutely. Mystery peoples. <laughs> mystery people. <laughs> they are kind of mystery people. Um, I think the trouble is with medieval stuff is that we are, we are so reliant in history so often and have been for hundreds of years on things like chronicles, which of course are written by men and usually celibate men who yeah. live with other men. <laughs> and what they tended to be interested in was uh, men, peculiarly. Um, and so when you look back through those sorts of sources, inevitably you find out more about men than you do about women. But women were absolutely important. They were essential for a start. Obviously, they're half the population. <laughs> and uh, without them, if you don't have queens if you don't have uh, women in general then the next generation isn't going to exist um, and another thing I think in women's history is lots of the time the focus has been on particular women so it'll be like mm. oh let's look at an abbess yeah. <laughs> or let us look at a very specific queen who did something exciting like, like Eleanor Anne Boleyn uh, yeah. Eleanor Actain yeah. exactly yeah. both Matilda. of these people Matilda Exactly. Even Matilda, though, doesn't get quite enough, I think. Doesn't get enough press. Yeah, not enough press for Matilda. She needs more. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think um, we should be looking at all women in these parts. And in order to do that, you need to kind of be looking at lots of different sources and just kind of combing more back through history. Can I ask about that? How do you actually interrogate the sources to find out about women? Where do you go for that kind of information? Well, there is a little bit in Chronicles, um, but usually it's things like, and then Eleanor of Aquitaine gave birth. Mm. the end um, <laughs> but apart from that obviously there's um, archaeological sources uh, and you can find out loads from just what people were using about um, at different points in time and also images things like that there's a, a surprising number of images of women doing things that we don't associate with medieval women so painting or uh, blacksmithing I've seen one of them um, isn't there a female blacksmith in, uh, in A Knight's Tale 
Yes. <laughs> I have no idea. Is, and that's that from history, act- so... <laughs> yes, is, that's completely factual. <laughs> I always think when I look at what I learn about in school or what becomes sort of popular in um, mainstream sort of historical things like, you know, television series and so forth, um, often it fixates on, as you mentioned, particular women who did something maybe really outrageous, so people like Anne Boleyn. The, the fixation on that is around the love and sex life, the relationship to a man, but also these really lurid details and obviously that's written by people at the time and Anne Boleyn's a really famous case of someone where what we remember about her is really historically inaccurate because there's no evidence that she was having it off with her brother no. or that she was a witch or you know <laughs> killed her own monstrous inbred <laughs> child or whatever it is but those are things that obviously people remember and are fascinating is that something which is sort of prevalent throughout the kind of medieval period yeah. that it's just these really sort of ridiculous stories that are remembered. Yeah, I think so. And I think the witch thing is particularly strange. We have this idea when we look back at the past. We basically think of women uh, as a society. If we think about historical women at all, it seems to be like, oh, they were prostitutes or they were witches Mm. and they did nothing else. Um, And actually, I think one of the interesting things about medieval women is you have so many examples of men and women obviously like they have to work together if you are married to a woman you have to have a reasonably functional relationship in order to hold on to your lands or look after your farm or whatever it is that that you're doing and so history gets completely skewed because we focus so much on like gruesome details of people's Mm. lives and I think also there's been so much I mean you were saying like military history political history at the beginning that women are sort of largely absent Mm. from that and they are absent from that because they didn't fight in battles in almost all circumstances and they didn't uh, go to parliament because they weren't allowed but we're but so much effort um so much attention is put onto those kind of public arenas and what we need to be doing is looking behind closed doors seeing what was going on what do we know about what happened behind closed doors Mm. well it's the difficulty is it's so much a kind of jigsaw puzzle of taking different bits of evidence and putting it together to sort of work it out but i mean there are very few surviving letters for instance or um a woman i find very interesting is a woman called christine de pizan in the 15th century who writes about uh, women and their relationships and she def- definitely says you know a man is off and off he's making war he's going and, and doing other things in other parts of the country so who's left behind looking after the home obviously it's a woman so you know man men make sure you marry a sensible woman so in terms of marriage um i had to study percival by chrétien de Troyes at school i don't know if you've come I across like that chrétien but i do not know that one um so so i learned from a french teacher so i don't know if this is historically accurate that um the woman <laughs> Um, the woman um, had to be of a much higher status and that the the person that they were marrying so the the knight that has to go off and sort of he kind of gets away with wandering about um, and then kind of settles down because she's of such high status and so beautiful and is like you know goes into trepidation like can I sleep in your bed can I not is that okay and there's this whole notion of respect but it's not respect for the woman it's respect for the fact that she's from you know a rich family and has a really Mm. nice house yeah I think it's a kind of because Chrétien de Troyes is late 12th century and that's when chivalry's just really getting going absolutely about that for the first time they're thinking oh yes we should not just kill each other maybe we should fight for a better ideal as well Uh, and particularly women then come into it but what's really interesting in some of his other stories is um, you actually have uh, a man like fighting to prove himself just because he needs the love of his woman not always because she's higher status Mm. and I think uh, it's interesting again one of the things we think about the past is it's so grim it was so horrible um, and I don't think it was necessarily all that grim and horrible Um, but 
certainly among the aristocracy, you have the situation that people got married quite young. They were arranged mm. marriages, lower down in status. You would be a bit older because you'd be waiting until you were economically able to get married. So there was like, again, just such an expansive experience. But it's really interesting looking at storytelling because that, that still is a way into finding out about what that culture thought. So song and storytelling and, you know, drama later on. All of those things are other sources that we need to use as well. So what about things like... Um, Menstruation. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're various women and we've... You know, we love menstruation, sex <laughs> and orgasms, it. menstruation, um, body hair, all of these things. Do we Tell know? <laughs> do we know what the menstrual cycle had in store for medieval women? No, Did they shave their pubic hair? That's what everyone's asking right now. <laughs> Everyone at home wants to know: Is it true that you know? Guinevere. When you went to church, they said you can only get pregnant having an orgasm. Like, <laughs> is that true? I dispel don't know if they said myths, it. Please. <laughs> All right, I will dispel them. Um, I don't know if they said it in church. Definitely, though, there are medical texts that are written by, by both men and women that are absolutely ancient. I mean, going all the way back to Roman times and possibly even further, slightly to Greek. And they develop into this idea that uh, a man and a woman, if they have sex and the woman gets pregnant, she can only get pregnant because both of them have orgasmed, basically. And obviously there's, there's kind of two ways you can take that information because it can have a really grim, uh, horrible outcome, which is that obviously this means any woman who is raped, for instance, and gets pregnant, it can't have been raped because oh, clearly she enjoyed it. Mm. But at the other end of the spectrum, there's clearly an awareness there, therefore, that women were supposed to enjoy it. And there's this idea, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of slightly wacky medical theories of the past, but one is about humoral theory and the body being made up mm. of warmth and cold and wet and dry. Uh, and because men and women are polar opposites usually, it's only by combining the two of them that you can get pregnant. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's almost an equality there. There has to be a parity between the two of them. Um, and when it comes to menstruation, funnily enough, there's not so many uh, pictures or chronicles <laughs> recording it. The menstruating monks. The menstruating monks, exactly, having some sort of empathy pains. Miraculous menstruation. It's <laughs> a great idea. Um, but what it seems to be, certainly when uh, women are pregnant, they go through these rituals, including like a lying in before, um, particularly if you're high status, I suspect if you're poorer, probably you just kept working until you gave birth and then kind of had to lie down for a few minutes and then got off and went back to your field. But for the higher status, they have lying ins for a few weeks before um, a birth and then they have a lying in and then a sitting up and then a churching and there's a whole ritual with it. But it does seem like women are kind of removed into uh, a group of other women to be around, which makes practical sense because obviously if you're around your mother or your sisters who've had children, then there'll be practical experience there they can use. But I wonder if, particularly for high-status women who are maybe like in the Tudor court, who are uh, working there and attending on the Queen, maybe they might just have retired and uh, for the most uh, intense period of uh, their period, as it were, <laughs> um, just sort of taken to their beds almost. But mm. I, I mean, we don't know. But I mean, some sort of Spe rag situation would seem the obvious. I've always wondered about things like this, about whether they mm. use like wool or. Anything. Well, they had a lot of linen mm. yeah, knocking around. Linen. When yeah. did the B day come in? Surely <laughs> <laughs> you should know that. Ask. You're French. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask contraception then while we're talking about. Oh my God! Yes, um, I don't. <laughs> I don't. We don't really know when it comes to contraception. But one thing I have heard that is just the most amusing is it about the lamb's intestines? No, it's oh. not. It's about a lemon. <laughs> it's that oh. people would. I, I can't. I. I can't believe you would do this because it would be so unpleasant. But that you would take a lemon and hollowing it, hollow it out, and basically just sort of 
use it like a, a lady. Like, like, like a diaphragm. Like a diaphragm. Yeah. Actually, a that's very diaphragm. clever. You know, I've actually read that. And I think they did that in ancient Egypt. But also, I don't know if that travelled throughout <laughs> the like North Africa yeah, to Western I Europe. Say, I was going to say the exactly acidity said, of yeah, the lemon would probably, would probably kill the, the sperm. Whoa, there's science. It's I, basically just spermicide and on, a diaphragm. Hang on, we're not saying this is a, a good contraceptive <laughs> I'm method. I'm looking for a new method of contraception right now. <laughs> Next week, I'll let you know yeah, how it's going. So Laura gives recommends you the lemon. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm thinking, a doctor. I think that there probably is like scientific basis for a lot of these things that sound a bit weird, like because mm. the orgasm thing, obviously, like yes, it's really bad because it makes it sound like you know if you get raped, and you know obviously it's not a kind of obvious causal relationship, but probably if you have an orgasm. You know, there's contractions that mm. prob- you know it probably will help the semen go anyway. Yeah, I'm just getting a bit biological here. <laughs> More supposed to be historical, so why not <laughs> combine the two? That's allowed. My yeah. biology, true. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like from what you were saying earlier that there there is a lot of evidence of medieval women like you said actually doing things what do you think is the kind of more what are the things that would really surprise us what people don't know about medieval medieval women that they should know i think there is just a general assumption that they did nothing but waft about and sew and wear long sleeves and stuff and they they really didn't these are particularly when you think about uh high medieval period like 13th 14th into the 15th century even um rich women in particular are basically like the CEOs of vast companies. They're in control of enormous tracts of land. Uh, If they have husbands and their husbands are away, which they often will be because they're in control of so many estates they have to keep moving between them, uh, then these are people who are doing in charge of household accounts, making sure that, uh, you know, uh, any taxation coming in or any supplies for the local area any anyone who comes to visit they need to give hospitality to like there's an enormous amount of skills that they would have had to have had so they're successful confident yeah Yeah, i think so as well as looking into historical women and actually studying it you also like to bring these things to life as well (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah can you tell us a bit about the historical reinterpretation reenactment is that right? Mm, interpretation? Interpretation, probably. Uh, or live costumes, historical interpretation, if you want to be, like, really long-winded. Yes, yeah, so I do historical interpretation. I work for a company that's based mostly at the Tower of London, Hampton Court Palace, lots of other Great big sites. Location. Yeah, good places <laughs> for history. Uh, and basically we work in costume and we do a range of, like, completely different things, everything from education sessions to... Uh, you know, just sort of wandering about, talking to people about different uh, eras that we're inhabiting at that moment to kind of help them understand the building or that period of history, uh, right up to really, really big events uh, that are just insane sometimes. I've been on a barge as a pregnant Jane Seymour. That was (laughs) terrifying. Do you have to, like, when you're doing the kind of educational things, are you speaking in character the whole time? It varies. I, I think... Yeah, it varies depending on the audience. For younger children, it doesn't really always make sense to be like, I am definitely from the past. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know like when breakfast was, but I am from 500 years ago. Um, have you ever had any like really funny questions that children have asked you? And I realise that we didn't tell you you were going to ask this, so <laughs> maybe you haven't thought of anything. Hilarious anecdote. Um, not sim- what's really surprising, I think, with children is a lot of the time they know more than the adults. And adults kind of have this really ingrained idea. So, like, the Anne Boleyn thing, they'll mm. be like, oh, she definitely was a witch. Or, oh, wasn't it awful that Henry killed her? How terrible. She she had no political power. She was a victim. And 
children are so much more switched on. And I, I met a child who could go through the entire list of kings and queens of England from William to Elizabeth II. And you, I can't even do you that. You know what that is? It's because when you're a child, you get those rulers, as in like a yes. ruler, where yeah. you can like measure things on. And they always, like, I used to have one that had like all the yeah. rulers. It doesn't oh, have Matilda it. It, on it's though. a ruler, ruler. I never understood that. I didn't get that till I was saying the word ruler and realised it was confusing. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it has all the rulers on it. And like, so kids just see that every day when they're drawing, you know, underlining the dates in their school yep. books. So they learn it. And also horrible histories. Yes. Of which I used to be a huge fan. I don't know if anyone else enjoyed those books. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just loved all history books. And what interests me about sort of kind of interpreting the past in that way is that it's a really, it's a tangible way of interacting with it as a child. That isn't so on that know, note, boring. I made the conquer soap from the Vikings horrible history. <laughs> the what? You, oh. made, you Con- made conquer soap? I made, How did you, what did you do? You had to like crush conquers. You well, that's, that's, that's as far as it got. <laughs> I you... never washed myself. With okay, soap. okay, that was my that was my question for you. Yeah. Okay, fine. I attempted making conquer soap. I think it's more accurate. Well, maybe you should try that Still, again well done, in the though. autumn. Maybe. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking um, of bringing history to life, you're also writing about the past. Is that is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, it is. So this um, book that uh, I've just written is about Robin Hood, uh, but with Maid Marian, of course an integral part of the book and I really like that I think a lot of what I learnt while doing interpretation while wearing weird clothes and walking around castles and things actually really helped kind of feed into the book because what I wanted to do with it was exactly that I wanted to make it a real historical world even though Robin Hood is is almost certainly a fictional character to have that real 12th century really yeah I <laughs> don't think say so. that That's, yeah that Sorry. was actually really disappointing for me to hear <laughs> <laughs> oh okay um he may what about what about May Marion though was she, she uh, there's probably a woman called Marion Definitely, at some point in <laughs> good the past. <enough. laughs> good enough. <laughs> Something to cling on to. So what inspired you about that particular kind of topic that made that the thing that you wanted to write around? I don't know. It's such an interesting story, isn't it? And it's one that keeps getting told. It's been around since... Like, Well, there's people called Robin Hood. This this might cheer you up. There's people called Robin Hood or Robber Hood sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that has cheered me up. <laughs> From they're, they're around in the 13th century. And, and people have been writing about it and retelling these stories. And I think there's always more you can get from them but I think it's uh, because it's such a good story it's it, in recent years has very much moved towards that kind of camp Robin Hood uh, version of events even even the film with Russell Crowe in I think there was some peculiar high campery oh, I going on in awful. that I quite liked King John in it that he was he was good I don't know if acting had an owl. Who's your favourite Robin Hood then, while we're on the topic? Apart from your own. Obviously. Apart apart from the one that is in bookshops. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Try stats. Tell us. us. Uh, It it varies between different vendors. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, having just said about High Camp and not wanting to go that route, one of the the stories I loved and actually that made me really interested in history was the Maid Marian and Her Merry Men by Tony mm. Robinson. I it's actually really fantastic. liked Robin in that. It's so um, like funny for adults. I watched it again recently because my mum and dad always loved it. They've got jokes about like premium bonds and stuff in. Like <laughs> It's really not for Which kids. Which all adults love. But, <laughs> I mean, I found it hilarious. <laughs> it is. It's brilliant. But there's, you know, I think you can still really enjoy those stories um, while having them in, in loads of different contexts. So mm. I, I did I did like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves when I was younger. I liked, yeah. you know, Disney, Robin Hood, The Fox. Well, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves has a special place in my heart because that's when I experienced my first feelings of um, sexual desire <laughs> as a sort of young child, or at least like a ro- like kind of eroticism, um, which was really based around Alan Rickman. Um, oh, not mm. Kevin Costner's bum no, in a waterfall. No, it, it, it wasn't when he had that shower. <laughs> no, it was um, Alan Rickman being dastardly. 
yeah, that's I understandable. Think, I think a lot of children really go for the Fox version as well, the cartoon version. <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. so yeah. many I've of my friends that. have been like, fresh, it wasn't, not me, by the way, but like <laughs> a lot of friends have said press crush. Yeah, I liked that Fox. I've, I've been revisiting the Robin Hood stories um, and the Robin Hood Fox is not as good when you are in your 20s, I've learnt. <laughs> He's a bit creepy. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask, I guess back to the kind of inter- historical interpreting that you do, is there any women that you've always wanted to interpret? <laughs> I want to use it like not offend. Embody. Embody, Embody that's yeah. nicer. Yeah, interpret's fine too, though. Um, Margaret Beaufort is a woman I find absolutely fascinating, uh, who is one of my favourite examples. From the White Queen? Uh, mm, yeah. Ish. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, yeah. Even, even better Made in real life. Made famous by. Made famous by the White Queen. Yeah. yeah, and to be fair, no one had heard of her at all. And now mm. if I say who she is, people are like, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah the yeah. mad nutcase one. Yeah. Like, well, sort of. Uh, she is completely fascinating. And like I said, she's the perfect example of someone who most people just had never heard of until probably Philippa Gregory yeah, came along. Yeah. And and yet she's the one who gives the Tudor family their claim to the throne. She's the one who keeps them going through all of those horrible, horrible years. She is married when she's six. Then she's married when she's 12. She has a baby when she's 13. She's married twice more before she's 30. She has a life that's actually quite representative of a number of noble lives, but completely fascinating. Wow. So I'd love to play her. Um, so we're kind of coming towards the end of the show, but I thought, um, Lauren, as if people are really interested in especially women in medieval um, history and um, your novel about Robin Hood as well, they can find out a lot more about these topics um, via your online presence. I can. <laughs> I'm all over the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, at history underscore Lauren. I'm on Facebook if you search me. Uh, and particularly uh, my blog, which is laurenjohnson1.wordpress.com, where at the minute I'm having a lot of different people come in and uh, talk about various different experiences of interpreting the past in lots of different ways, which is really interesting. So we just had an Amberlynn next week it's going to be all about pilgrimage and oh, someone reenacting awesome. pilgrimage i think that's everything for today this is history repeating Ooh. can we just say a big thank you to lauren for yeah. coming in that was really thank, amazing. thank you for thank you very much come back anytime <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's goodbye for me goodbye bye, bye. bye. the word is about there's something evolving whatever may come the world keeps revolving They say the next big thing is here That the revolution's near But to me it seems quite clear That it's all just a little bit of history repeating This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.